say a few things really on the subject of parenting because it's um obviously we've just been doing something very precious and specific with some families but um i realize that some of us will have done our parenting a long time ago and some of us may never have had that privilege for one reason or another um, but it just is such an important thing uh, if you're a mum or a dad, you have a ministry. It is called being a mum or a dad, being a parent. And it's a beautiful, precious ministry that must never, ever be devalued. And I think one of the things, without getting off onto a rant, which I don't want to do, one of the things I see, and Simon will probably bear me out on it, is just a huge... Um, multi-faceted um, approach, it seems, in the media and in the kind of ether almost, in the atmosphere and the spirit that's prevailing in our day against having children. And I even heard someone wrapping it up in a kind of environmentalist type of lingo about having children being very ungreen. You know, as in, if you have children, you're damaging the environment. And I thought, my goodness me. I mean, this was a parent. But it's all, and I was listening to, has anyone um, ever listened to John Simpson, the BBC reporter? He's been described as a national treasure. And uh, he was doing a thing yesterday um, called Unspun World. And he had a lady on as a guest who's the BBC correspondent on population. And they were talking about the growth of the population of the earth, which I realize has got lots of implications. Um, but she was saying words to the effect that suggested that China's one child policy and attempts to control population had been, a, had been beneficial so, I mean, I, I messaged John Simpson on Twitter and said, I wonder who benefited from that. Would that be the girl children who were aborted selectively because they were girls? Um, yeah, it's just shocking that anyone could possibly think that China's one-child policy had been good in any way. It was appalling, and the legacy goes on. And, uh, and, and it just strikes me that all the trends towards um, trans and everything else and puberty blockers create a bunch of young people who are sterile for the rest of their lives. They have no choice. So we will not let them buy cigarettes when they're under 16, but we might allow them to be referred for a double mastectomy at 15. You know what I mean? This, this is just crazy town. And so what I want to do today is just gather our kind of scattered wits a bit about this whole thing and just say, listen, it is a great honor and a great privilege to be a parent. And it's a great call and a great ministry from God. And it's something that is so close to his heart 
Why would he call himself father if he was not interested in kids? Surely his name would just be deity or something like that. And there would be people arguing for that, no doubt. <laughs> Let's just have a real quick look. Malachi, last book of the Old Testament. And we get a little bit of insight into the whole thing. Malachi chapter 2, verse 13. God is complaining to his people because they have become hypocritical in their pursuit of religion, but not pursuit of him. So they're going after religion and religious practices, but they're not, their hearts are not for him. And he says, verse 13, and this second thing you do, so he's got a list of things. And by the way, when we're on the subject, this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accept it, accepts it with favor from your hand. But you say, why does he not? And here's the reason, verse 14, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Did he not make them one? That's, did God not make the man and woman one? The two have become one with a portion of the spirit in their union. And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So what he's saying is, there is a relationship between a man and a woman, which we call marriage, where God makes those two people one. But not only does he do that, but he adds a portion of his spirit into their union. That is incredible to me. It's like there is an anointing for marriage, even if we're not a believer, even if we're not a Christian. I believe that God is interested in our marriage. So the two become one. They're no longer two individuals, but they've become one. And God's spirit himself has become part of that union. So this is really important. Marriage is not a lifestyle choice. Marriage is a holy covenant that God designed between a man and a woman. Not a woman and a woman, not between a man and a man between a man and a woman. This is holy. This is not something trivial. When we say the marriage vows, we say we don't enter into it, into this thing lightly, but after serious thought. Why is that? Because we're invoking God's name and inviting him to be part of our marriage. Getting married in church is not just about having all the lovely pictures afterwards. It's because the people who began that practice wanted their marriage to be conducted completely in the presence of God. It's gone quiet. Right, let's just, let's just read on a second. And he says, did God, did he not make them one? with a portion of his spirit in their union. And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. Everyone say godly offspring. God was seeking godly offspring. That's why he 
established the whole idea of marriage because he was looking for godly offspring. He wants, he has designs on our kids. Anyone pleased about that? I'm pleased about that because it means that he's helping me with things I find really difficult. I find it really difficult sometimes to be a dad. Sometimes I find it really difficult to be a husband and I like to say, God, help me because you, this is your whole idea. Can I have some help, please? Because it's, it's difficult right now. I remember having an argument with Anna one time. We lived in our old house and you had to go down a step to get into the kitchen. And I was like, I was so sure I was right. And as I walked down the little step into the kitchen, the Holy Spirit spoke to me really clearly and, and in a way that he doesn't often so clearly. And he said, she's right, you know. And I'm like, come on, come on. This is way not fair. So I literally turned around, went back into the other room and I said, babe, um, I'm sorry, God's just told me you're right and I'm wrong and I'm just so sorry. Uh, but even as I was saying it, I couldn't understand how this could be true. But I thought, well, I'm just going to have to die and get over it. And so what was God looking for? Godly offspring. So he says, guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord God of Israel, covers his garment with violence says the Lord of hosts, so guard yourself in your spirit and do not be faithless. What do you think he means by faithless? Yeah, breaking that covenant, breaking that agreement, that solemn agreement to remain together for the rest of our lives. Right, so what is God looking for? He's looking for godly offspring. So he creates this thing called marriage, where a man and a wife are together, not just because they fancy each other, not just until they find somebody else better, not just because the sex is good, but because they've entered into a covenant with Almighty God. And they've made a choice. They, in, when we say the vows, we say something like this, forsaking all others to cleave only, to cling only to this one as long as I live. And what we're doing is we're saying, God, this is a massive challenge. When I got married, I was about 27, I think. I didn't know anything about life and the universe and how challenging life could be. But you know what? There was something in my heart that just kind of, I knew this was God. I knew this was good. And I had faith in him that he would help me. Now, some of us have been through divorce and I'm not here to get you and chop you up into bits. Just here to say the ones of us who are in, in a good, the, one of us, the ones of us who are in marriages really need to value them and prioritize them. You see, God is looking, God is interested in what happens in our bedroom. That's a shocking thought. He's interested in what happens in our kitchen. He's interested in what happened. Yeah, he, it was his idea, wasn't it, Mike? <laughs> he wants it to be a blessing to us. He wants us not to use sex as a weapon to control each other. He wants it to be where we give ourselves joyfully, as the marriage ceremony says, to each other for the rest of our lives. You never grow out of it, apparently. 
here we go. So what is God looking for? He's looking for godly offspring. So the product of our marriage is that God is looking for godly offspring. Now, I know that some have been unable to have children, and so therefore you have to say, what would that surely, does that mean my marriage has failed? No, it doesn't. It just means that God has got a purpose for you which does not include having children. But his overarching big picture, if you like, for marriage is that he would have children who love him coming out from that marriage. I'm just going to read you something. Here we go. Raising young messiahs. Sometimes I wish God would boom from the heavens like something really big, uh, sorry, like write something really big across the night sky or do something so massive that everyone can see it at once and believe in him. Job done. However, his plan is so often sneaky, completely under the radar and completely open to misinterpretation. The cool thing, though, is that he always leaves a trail of breadcrumbs for the prophets to pick up. Jesus' birth is a classic example. He sends an angel to a young teenage girl in a village. She has a distant connection to noble ancestry, traceable to King David, but otherwise she's a nobody. The angel tells her that she is going to become supernaturally pregnant with God's baby. This is so open to misinterpretation even a relatively trusting person would be somewhat suspicious of such a story. God's master plan was to save, sorry, God's master plan to save the universe was to send a baby. It's a baby Messiah. So many times when the situation was desperate, God's answer was not to send an army or even a superhero, but a baby. Israel was a nation in slavery. It was approaching 400 years of grinding misery when a baby is born to a mum and dad who themselves are slaves. The Bible records that they saw that he was no ordinary child, it says in Acts 7 and Hebrews 11. Surely most, almost every new parent ever looks at their child and sees something special. Most of us parents believe that our own uh, believe our own child to be the most beautiful child ever born and probably the most intelligent alive that is until they can disagree with us. In the tiny Moses his mum and dad recognized something which I'm sure was the anointing and so concocted one of the most crazy plans ever conceived a little floating cradle made of twigs. I think God was smiling to himself and chuckling to the angels at the sheer fragility of this escape plan for his precious people group. At the very best, all we parents can hope to give our young messiahs is to safeguard them, is to fully, sorry. At the very best, all we parents can hope to give our young messiahs to fully safeguard them from the evil Pharaoh who wants to feed them to the crocodiles is a floating basket of twigs. We come up with great plans, set good boundaries, pray our heads off, but it's God who writes the story. How beautiful, but how delicate, the woven wicker lifeboat carrying the mini Messiah, conducted by the current of the Nile to the bathing princess. Her heart is melted by the plight of the one solitary Hebrew baby, whilst her father's heart is flinty and unmoved by the humanitarian crisis he has brought upon the whole Hebrew nation. 
The capacity of the princess to open up her heart to the baby Moses sets the scene for this young Messiah to grow up in the house of Pharaoh whilst observing firsthand the sufferings of his people. Care instructions. Let's return quickly to the story of Samson. When the angels visited the wife, sorry, when the angel visited the wife of Manoah and told her that she was to have a child, as we have said, he went on to give her very specific instructions about how this son was to be raised. During the pregnancy, she must abstain from alcohol and from eating any food which was unclean that is forbidden under the food laws given to the Jewish people by Moses. She was told that the boy was, she was to bear was a special child and would be set apart for a very holy purpose, even from his birth. He was not to have a razor used on his head. He must never have a haircut, nor was he permitted to eat grapes, raisins, or drink alcohol. He was to be a Nazarite. On the one hand, the Nazarite was a very special person. On the other hand, any man or woman could choose to take the vow to belong to God in this unique way. Besides avoiding alcohol, grapes, and raisins, the vow involves steering well clear of dead people, even close relatives. The Nazarite was a prophetic sign to the people, to the nation of Israel, to see a man or woman who was willing to voluntarily put God first in their own life, simply because he or she saw the reward in being personally close to him, was a challenge to others and to the nation to raise their game. Here we go. Famous Nazarites besides Samson include the prophet Samuel and John the Baptist. Each of these guys had quite unique upbringings. Samson never had his hair cut nor ate any food or drink derived from grapes. Samuel also was exempted from the barbers and from early childhood he was brought to live at Shiloh, the place where the people came to sacrifice to God before the temple was built. His mother's promise to God was, as soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. So this woman prayed for this baby and promised him to God and said, as soon as he's weaned, I'm going to bring him to live with God forever. Can you imagine that? Gosh, it's insane. It's such a huge thing. But she understood something. So she says, and for this child I prayed and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. She didn't see him as her own property. She saw him as belonging to the Lord, didn't she? Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord as long as he lives, so he is lent to the Lord. Imagine leading your child, sorry, lending your child to the Lord for as long as he or she lives. Amazingly, the young Samuel didn't rebel against the life his mother chose for him, but from early years developed the ability to listen to God's voice with pinpoint accuracy. In fact, his prophecies were so spot on that the Bible says, and Samuel grew and the Lord was with him and let none of his words fall to the ground. Listen to this. I'm sorry, it's a bit of a long read, but I think it's important. I believe that right now, God is calling young people and children into a lifestyle where they have chosen to make him the first thing in their lives. They are instinctively looking for something which will cost them. They're not attracted by the vanity of acquiring titles and stuff but do want to change the world. They are the young messiahs, the Christed ones, the sons of God, 
that the creation is groaning for. Babies are being born today who are not ordinary children. They are part of God's answer to a world that doesn't know him. We parents are so crucial, and we could put grandparents and great-grandparents in there as well, and aunties and uncles, are so crucial in this process. We can cooperate or hinder the plans of heaven for the young people growing up in our homes. That is why Samson's mum and dad received the care instructions from the angel. That's why John the Baptist's dad was not able to speak until he was completely on board of God's purpose for his son's life. As parents, we can fulfill Hannah's desire for her son that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. We must create the atmosphere, listen to this, in our home where the young Messiah learns to recognize the presence of God and where they learn how to identify the voice of God among all the other voices competing for their attention. I would imagine there were times when the young John the Baptist fancied some of the grapes on the table and mum had to swipe the fruit bowl from his reach. It may be that Elizabeth and Zechariah decided they would completely abstain from alcohol to make the home environment an easier place for the teenage John to manage. Sometimes the young person may not welcome the reminder from mum or dad that they have a destiny from God to fulfill. I remember having that exact conversation with Jazzy one day. Jazzy, you are called to be a worshiper. This was my exact words. The devil wants to steal your voice. Is that right? It wasn't an easy conversation. Samson appears to have been irritated by the wish of his parents that he should marry a nice Jewish girl and intentionally went looking for someone a little more exotic, a Philistine. A Nazarite man or woman was noticeably different from their peers. They stood out from the crowd with their long hair and the men with their free-range beards, they did look a bit weird. So also, listen to this, young people who choose to wait until marriage to begin a sexual relationship look very different from their contemporaries. They, like the Nazarite, become a source of ridicule as well as a provocation to holiness. I will never forget the amusement of two married guys I was working with on a building site when they discovered that I'd waited until I was married. After 20 minutes of comedy at my expense, they settled down and one said, actually, man, I really respect that. The other one chipped in, yeah, wish I'd waited. You just get to the same shallow point of relationship with every girl and you never get to really know them. Then more laughing as they admitted there was no chance they would have succeeded. John the Baptist lived a lifestyle separated to God. As he became a man, he spent his time alone with God, living in the wild places. That's not what everyone has to do, just what John did. Although his diet excluded anything to do with grapes, the legal suite of the health police, he lived on honey, which is even sweeter. He abstained from the sweet to enjoy the sweetest. He chose to avoid the obvious and instant pleasures of this life, to grow close to God and to make him his greatest pleasure. Fasting is when we abstain from legitimate pleasures such as food to find the deepest pleasure of true intimacy with God. I'm going to just move on because we're going to, I don't want to lose lose the plot. Mary and Joseph were no doubt doing a fab job of fostering the Christing in the life of Jesus right up until the time of his first miracle. 
But really, they were playing catch-up a fair bit of the time. On occasions, our young Messiah may have a clearer insight into what they need to do than we do at a particular time. That's an interesting challenge. Mary and Joseph had a pattern of going up to Jerusalem once a year to celebrate the Passover festival. It seems that Joseph took some time off work and a crowd from the village all headed to the capital together on a kind of pilgrimage. Everyone knew everyone. So it was a great environment for the young people. They could hang out together without needing parental micromanagement. This was fine until they were on their way home again. And Mary realized she hadn't seen her son lately. Most parents will recognize the hot, panicky, guilty feeling of, oh no, followed by the frantic interrogation of the entire group. When did you last see him? And I thought he was with you, Joseph. Guilt tripping, brain racking, step retracing, wishing someone would hurry up and invent the smartphone. The Nazareth group all returned to Jerusalem and arrived once more at the temple three days after they first left. Relief and frustration follow in quick succession as they recognize the holy boy sitting locked deep in conversation with the top biblical scholars of the day. Jesus may have been the actual Messiah, but at that moment, he was the just found had been missing 12 year old. I'm not quite sure how well mum and dad received his explanation. Didn't you know that I must be busy with my dad's business? Mary was smart and wise. This is the bit I want to get to. She treasured these memories in her heart, often reflecting on them and putting them together with the words of the angel, memories of the visit and gifts of the Magi, along with bits of scripture and prophecies which she remembered and the words from Simeon and Anna at the temple. Mums and dads, what's happened this morning, the prophecies, these become part of that stuff that you treasure in your heart and you keep in your arsenal when you're praying for your kids. You remember every prophecy, every vision, every dream you've had for your kids and you write them down, you treasure them. And when you're praying through those times when things aren't going so well, they're the things that keep you and sustain you. And give you ammunition. Paul says to Timothy, wage war with the prophecies that I that were made over you when they laid hands on you. So when Simeon prophesied over Mary and Joseph as they presented Jesus at the temple about her part in God's plan, he gave her a warning. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. It can be a bittersweet assignment being called to raise a young Messiah. We know that dear Mary was on her knees weeping as her beloved son was hoisted up in front of the jeering mob, wincing as she watched his bones wrenched out of joint as the cross jolted into the hole in the ground. She had nursed this holy boy at her own breast, kissed his sweaty head as he nestled into her bosom and watched with pride as her firstborn had taught taught the multitudes, and healed the sick. Now she knew he must be taken from her. She knew more than anyone else how undeserving of the shame of the criminal execution this young man was, how unfair the brutal lashes, the merciless mocking and spitting of the thugs paid to snuff out his life. She had lived in the atmosphere of heaven, that Jesus had brought into her home for 33 years. She looked into those eyes that bore her own DNA. Yet the one looking 
The one looking back at her was God himself. Now, centuries on, we can just see, we can see just how, why all generations have indeed called her blessed. At the time of the young Jesus, she was just a mum changing diapers, teaching her son to walk, helping him learn the scriptures, and imparting a deep sense of identity. May God raise up in the 21st century the mums and dads who will cooperate with the Spirit of God in raising young messiahs, Christed to preach good news to a world that is groaning in waiting. Yeah. Shall we stand and pray? What I'd love really just to, today is if you're a mum, a dad, an auntie or an uncle, a granny or a granddad, or even a great grandparent, or if you've adopted, it's the same. We count you, obviously, as parents. You've fostered. You're doing an incredible job. But we want you to understand this and for us all to realize this incredible ministry that God has given us. We're raising young messiahs. I know we're not, they're not messiahs in the same way Jesus is the messiah. But in as much as we're anointed ones, full of the Spirit of God, we can put like a small M and call them small messiahs if we like. So, Lord Jesus, we come to you with our parenting issues and our parenting needs, Lord, and different things will be in the minds of different ones of us today. And we ask, Lord, for your special help in each of those particular situations that you'll give us the wisdom and strength we need and the help and the strategies. Lord, but I pray today that what you will do is lift up our eyes and we'll see the mission of being a parent. We'll see the ministry of being a parent. We'll understand how it fits into your love for the whole entire human race that we raise our children well. Lord God, I pray for an outpouring of your spirit on our families today. Lord God, sha, come on, ha. Come on. If this is you, just put maybe lift your hands, put your hand on your heart, put your arm around your husband or your wife. Just say, come on, Jesus, we need this. This is not a luxury. This is actually life and death. Lord, we, we know that you've called us to this incredible ministry because it's so dear to your heart, Lord. And we pray, God, you'll help us and grant us success in it. Lord, that you'll be there in all our difficult conversations. You'll be the one cheering us on. You'll be the one reassuring us as we talk about those things that are so difficult to talk about. Lord, you'll bless our marriages. You'll bless our home life. Those of us bringing children up on our own, Lord, you will equip us to do it, that you'll be our spouse in the whole equation, Lord God. Hey, Jesus, come on. If any one of you would just like a particular prayer because you're facing a particular situation, if you're brave enough to come out the front, we'll pray for you here if you want to grab someone near you and say, can you pray for me? Because I don't know what to do about this. 
Just find someone today. Don't be isolated and cut off. If you're reviewing your whole life circumstances and some of the things I've said to you have made you angry. Some of the things I've said this morning have either made you angry or made you react inside. You think I've got something I need to sort out. Come and talk to me. But let's do, let's just shoulder this incredible privilege, this incredible responsibility of parenting joyfully and with faith and courage today. So, Lord, let your spirit rest on us. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Hey, if you'd like to speak to somebody about some of the things that were said, or maybe it stirred something in your heart and you want to make a decision, or you maybe you just need some more clarity, you want to ask a few more questions to know more about what was said, would you get in touch with us? Um, you can use the email connect at prayerhouse.uk. That's connect at prayerhouse.uk and we'd love to speak to you we'd love to get to know you and we can talk more so um, do get in touch with us now if you live in the area and you're looking for somewhere to go for a special christmas service the 11th of december we have our christmas service at 3 p.m in the afternoon at holy trinity so 11th of december 3 p.m in the afternoon at holy trinity school in weymouth so come along there's going to be lots of fun our children have been practicing and they're going to be doing their parts and um we're just going to have some great fun singing some carols together and just celebrating the birth of jesus so do come along and we'll see you there if you have been here for the first time maybe you just want to find out more about the church our website is prayerhouse.uk that's prayerhouse.uk god bless you we hope you have a good one see you again